None of the content on this or any episode of the Cranium Science Podcast, Cranium Science Journal Club, or on any pages of the website kratomscience.com should be considered medical claims or medical advice. This is the Kratom Science Journal Club with Dr. Jonathan Cachet, neuroscientist and expert in psychopharmacology. In each episode, we discuss an article in a peer-reviewed journal. I'm your host, Brian Gallagher, blog and social media writer for KratomScience.com, your source for all things Kratom. So far, we've been able to bring you the Kratom Science Podcast and Kratom Science Journal Club without advertisements or solicitations for donations, but we do need your support. If you would please like, subscribe, rate, review, comment on whatever podcast platform you're listening to, this will help spread the word, help more people learn about Kratom, which we hope will lead to positive outcomes and better policy. This study was pretty interesting. It was out of Indonesia, and we hadn't looked at anything like this before, but it was called, uh, the title of the study is Antibacterial Mechanism, the title of the study (laughs) is Antibacterial Mechanism of Kratom Methanol Extract on Streptococcus Pneumoniae and... E. coli bacteria. So they're testing, uh-huh. they're testing kratom, um, and this is um, in vitro, uh, right in uh, I guess petri dishes. They're taking a menthol methanol extract of kratom and seeing what it does on this. Before I thought it was strep throat because it's streptococcus pneumonia but it's actually not strep throat it is a different kind um the main cause of community acquired pneumonia and meningitis in children in the elderly and of sepsis in those infected with hiv so it's a bacteria that causes uh pneumonia um and meningitis apparently um the main cause of it and um, E. coli, I think everybody knows what that is. It's uh, found in food, and it's a mostly stomach condition. That This is a team in Indonesia. I'm not even going to try to pronounce the university, uh, but it's uh, abbreviated UNUSA. Uh, it's a university in the city of Sarabaya in the eastern part of the island of Java. The island of Java is south of the island of Kalimantan. Kalimantan is where all the commercial kratom grows for export into the U.S. market. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, wait. I have a pronunciation here that I linked. Let's see. Oh, it's for that uh, one condition. Streptococcus pneumoniae. Streptococcus pneumoniae. Oh, there you go. Yep. <laughs> I guess they found, in general, that it's. Uh, it says it calls quer- quercetin... A secondary metabolite of Mitragena speciosa, which interacts with the ATP1 protein as a predictor and the mechanism of Mitragena speciosa as an antibacterial. However, is that right to call it a metabolite? Because the translation was a little bit 
off in this, I think, might be the translation, or maybe I'm just not understanding, but um, they're also, it's also a flavonoid, isn't it? And I didn't, I thought flavonoids were inherent in the plant and not a metabolite of of the plant. Um, well, so what I would say is any, like, compound the plant produces would be a metabolite. You know, anything that okay. is made and put together like from protein building blocks within the plant could be considered a metabolite. But I think that you're right in that, you know, more accurately, it could be classified as a flavonoid. Um, but, you know, basically it's the, it's the compound that they believe is being made by Kratom that has antibacterial activity. Okay. Okay. And, and this quercetin i think also occurs in other plants it's not just kratom um uh let me look at it up look i would up. agree with you there on that yeah i don't yeah. think it's anything like it's not a uh um, um the word coming to my mind is calvatone but that would be for kava kava um but, you know it's not a it's not a kratom specific alkaloid yeah um and I think I wrote that in my notes somewhere. Uh, Found in many fruits, vegetables, leaves, seeds, grains, capers, red onions, and kale. Yeah, I have that. Yep, yep. <laughs> so, so they're saying that's the thing that caused it. So it's not necessarily. I guess it's not necessarily the kratom that um, uh, helps with this. But they did find that. Um, so they taste they. Um, tested testing the antibacterial activity of kratom leaf extract against these two bacteria as carried out with eight variations of concentration um, everything from 0.78% to 100% um, and they found that you know the more well actually they didn't it didn't go higher it, it went um, to a certain point the uh, bacteria became less and less present. Is that mm-hmm. yeah? Uh, with the yeah. um, the uh, kratom extract, this this methanol extract, and so you said you thought initially when you looked at this, it might be the methanol that's actually um, eliminating the bacteria. Well, I think yeah. I mean, I think that. Um almost all of those like alcohols, ethanols, methanols, um, have antibacterial, like antimicrobial properties. Um, you know, it's like, would be like cleaning something with, with alcohol, um, or sterilizing something with alcohol. I think it just basically destroys, you know, any lipid membranes or cell walls or anything of that matter. Um, but, you know, looking at it a little bit closer. So they made this methanolic extract. They took about two kilograms of powder and then they put it in uh, 96% methanol. Um, then they like macerated it. So like beat it up and stirred it. And then they uh, did a rotovap uh, water bath. So that rotary evaporation is like a real slow moving ball, like classic uh, cartoon scientific lab, you know, piece of equipment to uh, presumably uh, evaporate off a large amount of the methanol. Um, so I, I knew, I knew this is where we were going. So I was looking a little bit closer. There is no indication that they like, they say that they got a thick 20 gram crude methanol extract and stored that at minus 20 degrees at the end of the day. But what percentage of methanol 
was still there, I guess is, is just my question. Um, but now that I'm talking about it out loud too, I think that some of the, like, did they do a control, the control that had very little, like, did they just do a methanol control? I don't remember seeing that. Um, no, I don't think so. And and I think there there was a lot that was left out. Uh I think they didn't really there it wasn't really detailed, but um there was something in in the discussion section that said in line with this study, previous studies have shown the effectiveness of Mitragyna speciosa as an antimicrobial of several types of extract solvents. So, uh I think that's what that's what they had to maybe explain that that uh, it wasn't only the methanol but i'm but i'm not sure mm-hmm. yeah i mean i assume it's at very small concentrations if, it, if they had it evaporate off for you know 24 hours or so um ultimately though you know i would say like if you're using like two percent alcohol and water to sterilize something that would still get the job done yeah um but i think that because they're also seeing like a gradual increase in the antimicrobial activity as the concentration increases then you can you know sort of safely assume and understand that something within the extract itself as the extract concentration increases is having more antimicrobial effect um and, and you know you're right in that this there was some weird like translational things with this paper it, there were some elements where i was reading and i was just like what is going on now um <laughs> I don't know if that was translation or if this journal is new. I was sort of like poking around, you know, it's a journal that has been out since I think 2020, since 2021. So it's only been out for about a year. You know, it has accreditation with, you know, science uh, regulatory bodies over in India. Um, but it's a relatively new journal that's headquartered in India. Um, and in addition to sort of this study being shorter in length, it also seems like they were sort of building on studies that were previously done by this group. So sort of expanding on stuff that they had already done. So maybe the, um, you know, the detailed review of was this methanol or was it the alkaloids in Kratom had occurred in a, in a publication previous to this. Yeah. And <laughs> in the abstract, it, it has conclusion it says, in conclusion, there's no correlation between nutritional status and remission outcome of patients with ALL in the induction phase of therapy. I I, I think that was from another study or something, because what patients are they talking about? Because this is like a lab study with no yeah. humans, and and they're talking about underweight patients and nutrition needs and therapy outcomes. And there was nothing in the study that had anything to do with this. It's so a thick I think red highlight in my, on my PDF. And it says, is this from a different study? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I said, is it a misprint or something? But it, yeah. I, yeah. So maybe that, maybe you're right that there was a whole other study that this correlates with. However, that just kind of is there and there's nothing else. I'm like, what patience? Mm-hmm. I don't know. So that was a little weird. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I remember this from Indonesia. It was like right when COVID started. So I think there's a lot of questions about <clears throat> um, whether 
what Kratom does and stuff. And because right when it right when COVID started, uh, one of the uh, ministers of, of some department, uh, like maybe the health department or whatever in Indonesia, announced, "Well, we have a lot of indigenous medicinal plants that could help with symptoms like." Uh, like Kratom was one of them. You know, his statement kind of got picked up by a lot of these Kratom blogs, and and that turned into does Kratom or Kratom cures coronavirus. And then I wrote a blog post that said, no, it doesn't cure coronavirus. It, this guy That's was just saying, if you get sick, like you know, there's there was no vaccine at the time so he was basically telling people that you know there's a lot of indigenous plants that will help you feel better which turned into so i guess i don't know if um this study is actually you know they're trying to find out in indonesia whether uh, kratom actually does help with certain illnesses that have nothing to do with covid but yeah i guess well, there's yeah, interest. I mean, and in that in that case too it would be like strep throat right covid yeah. is a as a viral vector and it's a virus so um, you know, the fact that this uh, compound that they're they're pointing to as a potential mechanism for antimicrobial activity is based on essentially choking out the cell's ability um, to make ADP or ATP. So like, you know, the, the molecules that are power the cell and the processes in the cell. Um, so they think it interferes with that conversion to the ATP molecule. You know, that's not a relevant concern or active molecule target for for uh viral you know viral uh diseases or illnesses um and you know i also you know just searching on this compound how, how are we pronouncing it course quercetin quercetin yeah quercetin um, <laughs> it looks like you can just buy it off the shelf at like a gnc you know a plant flavanol and so you know, I guess it would have been interesting too with this study if they did the microbial activity, but then they actually compared it to like what we would consider an advanced pharmaceutical uh, antimicrobial. So like a penicillin um, or some other like antibacterial compounds, because if I had to guess, the antibacterials are far more effective at lower concentrations at sort of wiping out the growth of the, the strep and the E. coli than just this plant-based compound alone. Yeah. Um, Quercetin. Quercetin. Okay. There we go. Quercetin. That, that sounds right. Yeah, okay, cool. Mm -hmm. Quercetin. Okay, so you can actually buy that as a supplement. Um, mm -hmm. Oh, just kind of like tagging on to what I was just talking about, about the health minister saying uh, the plants there. In the introduction, it says there's about 40,000 species of medicinal plants that have been known in the world, and 30,000 of them are suspect suspected to be located in Indonesia. Um, of these, 25% are known to have herbal properties or medicinal plants. However, only 1,200 types of plants have been used for raw materials for herbal medicines. And I was like, if there's 1,200 are used and 7,500 are known, how do they know 30,000 are medicinal? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, interesting. <laughs> I was just wondering about that. Um, but yeah, but yeah, in a tropical region, you would expect them to have uh, a lot of uh, different medicinal plants. Um, but um, oh, and they also said uh, people consume kratom leaves by chewing, brewing like a tea, or smoking. <laughs> um, and I looked up the sources for this. Uh, 
because the smoking thing, it just doesn't seem right. Um, uh-huh. So I looked up the, their source. The source literally said kratom leaves are crusher powdered or readily available on the internet and stores in most states, but this material is not reported to be used by nasal insufflation, smoking, or intravenously. Um, uh, there have been some reports of leaf smoking in Southeast Asia, but this is not to be or appear to be common. They got this from a, a U.S. Uh, that was their source. Uh, there's uh, little evidence or apparent risk that kratom products are used by routes other than oral beverage or food consumption, um, even though it's theoretically possible to smoke. So that was their source of them saying it's people smoke it. So I, I just always check these things because it just bothers me that people mm-hmm. keep saying you, that you smoke it and and people don't really do that. Uh, so anyway. Or encephalate for that matter. Yeah, yeah. Is that snorting? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. okay. <laughs> and uh, it also... There's says, no activity there. Yeah. I can imagine encephalating that green powder. I mean, you probably... It'd be like the cinnamon challenge. You'd, like, choke yourself to death. Oh, I did, like, a... I did a toss and wash with, like, an extract once, and I coughed before I could drink the water and it was all up in my nose and it was just terrible for about 10 minutes so yeah like somebody asked me if you could snort it and i'm like if you want to play a joke on somebody tell them that uh look this stuff you should snort it um that would be like a mean joke uh (laughs) Mm -hmm. it says okay it says produces a stimulant low doses and sedative at high doses Diarrhea, and then it just says diarrhea, smooth blood circulation, increase endurance and stamina, prevent constipation. It just says diarrhea. It doesn't say if it causes or prevents it. I think it prevents it. Um, Mm -hmm. And then it says prevent constipation. So that seems like, uh, you know, the opposite. Um, So anyway, I'm just nitpicking about their uh, introduction. But I see this a lot, and it's. I wish they would just get that part a little bit more right. yeah right yeah there's like no precedent in the marketplace or the literature for like you know those those types of methods of administration so it is weird that they just sort of persist you know it's like that game of uh publication telephone that we talk about where the first person says like this maybe might be involved in this sort of and then three papers later it's it's involved in yeah and uh, it also says a uh, treatment for diabetes and reduced sugar. So I looked up those sources. It was just came down to like one anecdotal report of a lady um, being diabetic and one other said it's reported to be an anti-diabetic, but there's no study uh, it points to on diabetes. Um, and then it says the activity of kratom as an antimicrobial cannot be separated from composition contained in the kratom leaves, including a high content of phenolics and flavonoids and the menthol extract of kratom leaves. And uh, you were just talking about that. Um, I think that uh, phenolics and flavonoids are known to be antimicrobial. Are they in general or, or just this... Uh, just this um, Quercetin. Quercetin. Yeah. I think that there, I think there is some precedent that these um, flavonoids and like other alkaloids made by plant compounds have microbial, antimicrobial activity. Um, I mean, there are, 
there are plants that just like in production of cannabinoids, like produce these terpenes or flavonoids or active compounds as a defense mechanism. Um, and, you know, even like within cannabis, for example, there's just certain strains that are more hardy and can be in like a dark, moist or warm, moist environment, but not get stricken with powdery mildew or other types of mold or fungus growth. And it's presumably because of compounds that they're producing at a little bit higher concentration than than others, you know, similar and close to that. So, you know, in some ways, I think that there is um, there is precedent to say, like, there is microbial activity at these compounds. We know it has antimicrobial activity, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're as effective as, like, say, penicillin or other antibiotics. You know, I thought it was interesting. Maybe we should just mention at, at, with this one as well. So essentially, you know, they did the extract. They they got as much of the methanol out as they can, one presumes. And then they used various concentrations that were pipetted onto cell planes. Uh, so, like, basically... Uh, these cell plates are a sterile agar environment that has some sort of uh, food or nutrients there such that like if there was bacteria, they're able to thrive. They're able to grow. They're put in an incubator. And so, you know, they show some pictures of the plates and you can see where growth is and where growth has been inhibited. Um, but then after that step, when they were looking at the target classes, like trying to figure out, okay, well, what could it be inside of the extract? that is actually leading to this antimicrobial activity. They did a literature search using a, um, so the URL is like something in Switzerland. It's a protein uh, like database where essentially, you know, they, they were able to throw in um, the nature of the compounds that they were looking at and then seeing the interactions, known or published interactions with other molecules or cellular processes uh, in the bacteria. And that's how they arrived at the, uh, at this quercetin, that, that's what pointed them to that. So they went from a real world like in vitro or in vivo, no, in vitro, then over to this in silico, um, which is, you know, from an open data, data science perspective, um, nice to see. Are there like flavonoids in cannabis as well? Uh, it says that they're associated with a wide spectrum of health promoting effects and are indispensable components in a wide range of applications. Um, this is due to its antioxidant, anti-inflammatory, anti-mutagenic, and anti-carcinogenic properties, coupled with its capacity to modulate the function of key cellular enzymes. So what you're pointing to, I think, is that that key interaction is is about inhibiting the ATP activity and thus the, the ability for the uh, microbials to grow. Yeah, yeah. What about that? Is that it, now, is ATP like an enzyme? Uh, no, ATP is a molecule, so it's okay. uh, a, a, a um, triphosphate. And so, like, the phosphate groups get added in this chain of three phosphates, and then as that phosphate bond breaks, energy is released, and that energy release is used to actually, like, mechanically drive all of the cellular processes in life. Um, it's certainly, like, you know, the if you look at photosynthesis is a way for the plants to use light energy to turn into ADP. Whereas like um, getting that energy from other consuming other biological material is how we do it, you know, outside of photosynthesis, but all of them are driving to produce these ATP, which is then used to uh, fuel, fuel the uh, mechanisms or all, all the cellular processes. It's like the only way you can get, ions to go across like against their concentration gradient is to you know expend energy and that's what this stuff is used for okay and now I, and then i was like wondering about um 
they were talking about flavonoids and and their like antioxidant, antimicrobial. Uh, uh, are these are the are flavonoids found in like all plants? Like I hear stuff like uh, are they in, like cannabis as well? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Certainly. Certainly. Um, and in fact, we just I was reading there's a uh, study that came out today that was um, uh, the characterization of novel flavonoid compounds that weren't terpenes inside of uh, cannabis strains that are like very closely related to garlic. Um, mm. But yeah, these, these flavonoids are, are all over the, the plant and animal kingdom. Um, but again, I think, you know, like they have antimicrobial activity in so much as they aren't fostering or like promoting bacterial growth. It's not necessarily that all of them were evolved to serve an antimicrobial or antibacterial, you know, purpose, right? Okay. It's just sort of that they, they, they do and they can. Um, but I don't think they're, and this is, I'm, I'm talking out of school here because I don't know for sure, but I, I still don't think like you would, you know, if you had a bacterial infection, I don't think you would want to go get the uh, a quercetin supplement and then just call it a day, right? You probably would want to go uh, and, and look at more targeted antimicrobials. Okay. Um, and so, like, the main question I had was just, I mean, is it is it kratom especially, or is it just anything with quercetin that that's going to have the same results as as this study um it did say that um the course quercetin content in uh the kratom the methanol kratom extract is quite high uh the presence of quercetin as a subflavonoid gives hope that the content of kratom has a good effect for use as a herbal medicine in this study we found that quercetin has a high pharmacokinetic effect on absorbed in the gastro gastrointestinal tract so it's found in all kinds of plants um can kratom as an individual plant really get the credit or if somebody eats a lot of spinach is that going to do the same thing for uh their e coli but presumably if you have high concentrations of the con of the quercetin content then it would have the same activity it's not necessarily unique to kratom i mean yeah. and i didn't realize that it was in so many like you know uh kale uh, many fruits and vegetables, leaves, but yeah. maybe kratom has more than than the standard bear, you know. But it, I would say any any uh, plant compound or any plant species that has this would presumably have some degree uh, of antimicrobial activity. And I mean, you know, it was uh, in order to kill the E. coli, it was uh, concentrations of more than twelve point five percent, and for the strep, greater than four percent. So as long as you can get an analogous concentration of the quercetin, I think that you, we would see the same effects. Okay, okay. So everybody listen, it's really the quercetin. <laughs> Although, this isn't medical advice, so if you have a coli, go to a doctor. Go, you, 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 well, doctor. for one thing, you wouldn't know if you had that uh, if you didn't go to a doctor. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and there was another uh, thing in the discussion that says it has been found that kratom leaves contain alkaloid, flavonoid, ster- steroid, sap- saponin, and tannins, and have antioxidant effect. St- steroid is that right? Can a steroid be in a plant? Yeah, so steroids. Okay. I think in the in the notion of that, that are signaling molecules. Um, it just it, so I think a steroid is just sort of defined by the, the core 
you know, chemical structure that it is. It's got four rings and they're, those four rings are arranged in a specific way. Um, but yeah, they definitely are signaling molecules, not only in, in humans and animals, but also in plants, certainly. It says if the concentration of the extract continues to increase, it can reduce the killing power. Um, this finding suggested that the increasing concentration of kratom can lead to an increasing viscosity of the extract, thus affecting the rate of diffusion of extract in the agar media. In addition to the concentration factor, the type of antimicrobial material can also determine the ability to inhibit bacterial growth. So what they found was at a, up to a certain level, uh, this extract was had antibacterial effects, but then at, if it kept going higher, then it didn't have those effects um yeah is it just a problem with the medium is it uh the problem like with the kratom or anything else i think that it's just because we have like a thick resinous gunk ball right that isn't really like fusing across the the plate okay. um, generally when you add stuff to a plate you sort of drop it in the middle and then you have this sterile glass rod that you use and you spin the plate to get it spread out all over but my guess would be and, and how they're describing it to me sounds like uh it's essentially just too thick to be dispersed very well across that plate and where it doesn't, you know, bacterial growth can occur where the, uh, the compounds aren't, aren't haven't reached yet. Does studies like this, uh, usually translate well to animal or human studies? Do they usually find similar things? Cause it seems like, you know, once you do an in vivo study, there'd be a lot more going on with, uh, you know, with metabolism and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. I think you're, I think you're dead on with that, like metabolism. So there will be all sorts of enzymes, like broad, uh, metabolistic enzyme family classes. You know, we talk about the cytochrome or the P450 or P, you know, that whole family of enzymes. What would assume that the quercetin would be degraded or maybe even inhibited by the activity of those like, uh, extra enzymes that are just in the stew of a uh, in vivo um you know and you know what made me think of too is like okay well shoot if people are consuming powder um are they messing up their gut bacteria and how could that you know i would assume you know it's sort of indiscriminately being antibacterial so it's not like it's just taking out bad stuff and, and leaving in the good stuff and they didn't really seem to mention it that much just from like ingestion and its effects on the gut bacteria that I remembered that like, so people that actually consume Kratom might oh. have their gut biome disrupted in a way yeah. that is not ideal. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure about that. I know, but I think it's the opioid effects that, that cause the constipation like any other opioid does. Um, mm -hmm. um, but also I'm just, <laughs> cause I, I don't, you know, I've always used a tea and I never had that problem. So, like, mm -hmm. my first initial thought was, well, if somebody's consuming powder with water, then you got a ball of cement in your stomach. If you're, I mean, it's it's just a little ball. If it's a teaspoon or two, but <laughs> it's it's kind of like you know, physically blocking. Uh, method of administration would make it different. Uh, and the results from a petri dish would not translate equally to what's going on in your gut. But, well, yeah, especially in your gut. You know, yeah. you have first pass metabolism there. Like that's like the, you know, that's the place where the enzymes involved in degrading down other molecules and bio, especially bioactive molecules are 
are there. So it's um, there would certainly be some first pass metabolism. It's not like really, I think even there's any industrial value here. Like I don't think that we can make a, a queratin spray that would be antimicrobial that you would want to use like over just an alcohol or a bleach or something like that. I think they're just more trying to flush out if there's there is antimicrobial activity, what is the what is responsible for it? And then from there, uh, yeah, it says uh, it says maybe used in the prevention and treatment of various infectious bacterial diseases and may provide treatment option to reduce the use of antibiotics. So I guess okay, what I've been saying this whole time about how like modern antibiotics are stronger, maybe that could be a bad thing from the idea of uh, antibiotic resistance, and that something like this could be used instead. Pretty pretty straightforward paper. I thought that. You know, it was interesting to think about this in light of COVID and um, just sort of disease transmission overall. It's not antiviral, and so it's not necessarily directly applicable to, to COVID in, in the current state of the world. Relative to the other papers that we are typically reading about, um, you know, uh, pain-killing effects, pain relief, um, or opiate addiction or opiate use disorder, it was just kind of nice to get a breather on this one to look at Kratom and its potential uses or implications from another angle. I would just say that that it's mostly the quercetin that's doing the activity here, and I, and I know a lot of like kratom advocates. I mean, sometimes it's just vendors that want to sell you kratom as a miracle cure, but then there's like sincere advocates that see a headline like this and want to like uh, put it out there that kratom uh, might help with E. coli or something like that. But it's one of the reasons I like to look at these studies and stuff is so I can translate them to people and and try to mm-hmm. try to get it out there the fact that. Lo- a lot of these things are complex. I mean, that's why the last one we did, the study showed that mitragynine caused cognitive impairment in high doses uh, in mice over a few weeks. And that same team put out a study uh, like a month later that said it causes cognitive improvement in, uh, in mice that are going through morphine withdrawal so it's mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily mean that this exactly happens to humans because of this one study and i think it's good to just look at it and just understand that these things are complex and it's better not to ignore the negative and then take the positive and try to use that to advocate instead just try to understand what's going on here just like the scientists are trying to do Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. yeah certainly Once again, thus far, we don't ask for donations, we don't advertise, so please support us by liking, sharing, subscribing, commenting, rating, reviewing, wherever you listen to podcasts. Find Dr. Jonathan Gachet, who we thank, as always, and are very grateful for, on social media, at jgachet. Kratom Science Journal Club is produced by me, Brian Gallagher. Music is Captain Big Wheel. The song is called Moon Runner. And we're grateful for you, the listener. Happy Thanksgiving, and take care.